actually physically have to change anymore. And I think it's the microwave. I think that's about it, which, you know, in a couple of weeks we'll notice, oh, we haven't changed that yet. But everything else is automatic, which is great, isn't it? But uh, you all look great from missing an hour of sleep last night. So well done. Well done. Hey, as the ushers are passing the baskets, um, uh, looking at some updates this morning, and our friend Gary Keene, our missionary to Nairobi, Kenya, posted that there was an airline crash in Africa this morning. An Ethiopian Airlines flight from Addis Ababa to Nairobi crashed shortly after takeoff in a full flight, uh, no survivors, unfortunately. And you know, we can sometimes read the news and things seem so far off and kind of otherworldly. Um, but what Gary had posted is, in fact, one of their members of their congregation was affected directly and that they knew someone on that flight. And so we'll just pause for a minute and pray uh, for the families and the communities affected by this tragedy this morning. Let's do that. Let's go before the Lord. God, we thank you that you are a gracious and compassionate God. And Lord, we ask you this morning that you would minister to every person, every family, Lord, uh, who has been affected by by this tragedy this morning. God, we ask that there would just be uh, your peace that would rule and reign in the circumstance, Lord God. We pray uh, as families are are even just finding out the news of what has happened, Lord God, that uh, in the season and in the the process of grieving that you would walk with them, Lord, that your uh, your your sons and daughters would surround them and bring encouragement, Father God, uh, to them. Lord, we pray for this brother at Jacaranda Christian Fellowship, Lord, who's been affected uh, directly by this, this incident, Lord. We pray over him and over that church family, Lord, our, our sister church there. We pray that there would be, uh, that th- th- that community would just rally around him, uh, and Lord, that there would be opportun- opportunities to share your love and your grace, and your compassion in the midst of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing a series that we started last Sunday uh, entitled Character Foundations. Character Foundations. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, uh, it's going to be our, our kind of jumping off point. And, and I'll just warn you, I think there are certain Sundays where I want to give you a heads up. We're going to cover a lot of ground uh, biblically. We're going to cover a lot of different passages. If you'd like to follow along or if you want to have those as a reference, uh, Christy had mentioned the app. The sermon notes are on the app, and you can pull that up, uh, and all those references are there. The, the verses will also be up on the, the screen. I, I, every Sunday I see people like kind of sneaking their phones out trying to tip, take a picture of the screen. Go for it. You have, don't, don't feel like you have to hide. If you want to take a picture, take a picture. It's all good, all right? You have permission. Um, because, because the goal here is that you would leave not just with Barry's ideas, that you would leave impar- with an impartation of the Word of God, resource to be able to go and study and, and further dive into and press into what God is speaking to you. I was in a, a, a meeting the other day. A lot of my meetings nowadays are all on video conferencing. It's really weird. Just, I have meetings in my living room with people all over the place. But I was in this video conference meeting, and the person that was facilitating the meeting made this statement. And as a pastor, you'll, you'll hear that this was super encouraging for me. Not really. She she asked this. She says, how many sermons do you think the average congregant remembers? Any guesses? Two. The answer is two. It's usually the last week and then one message, uh, and that's in the span of a year. In the span of a year, how many messages do people remember? Two. 
the one last week, and then one that was deeply impacting for, for a person. So you could see as a pastor, I'm like, oh, that's great. That's a lot of work for two weeks of memory. <laughs> However, if we would take the, the time and, and, and really engage in these times and say, hey, I want to take these passages, go home and meditate. I don't care if you remember my sermon. That's, that's not the goal of this. The goal is that you would engage with the Lord in such a way that your faith would be deepened and your relationship with him would grow deeper. Amen? And so that's why I like to share a lot of verses, a lot of passages, because at the very least, if you don't remember anything, remember what God says. That's the most important thing anyway. Amen? All right, here we go. Character foundations. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49, Jesus says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. The man who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. I think we would all agree this morning that foundations are important. The house you live in, the apartment building you live in, the building that you work in, you want to make sure. You, it's, there's this, this just kind of in the back of your head, in the deep recesses, there's this idea, this knowing that this place is built on a solid foundation. This building right here is built on a solid foundation. And that's important because we live in earthquake country, right? Hello? Yeah? All right. We live in earthquake country. In some places, it's floods, and in other places, it's tornadoes. But we see that... that the foundation is critical. The foundation is so important. The dex- dictionary uh, defines foundation as this. There's a couple of found, uh, uh, definitions, rather. It's the lowest load-bearing part of a building, typically below ground level. The second definition would be this, an underlying basis or principle in regards to a thought or an idea. See, the integrity of a building... And the integrity of an idea rests on what that foundation is. If the foundation isn't solid, everything else that's built on top of it, everything else that comes after it will not be solid. You can have the most beautiful home in the world, and if the foundation is not solid, it is in jeopardy. And I would say it's not even safe. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Saying this, listen, if you hear my words and you don't put them into practice, it's like building a house on sand. It's 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 you're going through the motions, but you're there's nothing solid, and it's not gonna stand the test of time. In fact, we sang a whole lot of songs about this that this morning. That we need to make sure that the 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 fabric of our lives, the, the, the content of our lives, the core of our lives is built on Jesus and Him alone. See, He is our rock, He is our foundation. We understand this, that foundations are the unseen part of the building. It's the hidden part. You don't see a foundation, but you can see what's built on top of that foundation. And I shared last week that that in construction, when you're building, the foundation is the least gratifying part of the construction process. 
There's a lot of work that goes into it. And when you're done with the foundation, you step back and go, hey, the foundation is done and all you have is a big concrete pad. It's not very pretty. It doesn't look like much. It's not impressive, but it's absolutely critical and essential. And you cannot skimp on the foundation. You have to give the attention that, it's need, that it needs. I shared last week this idea that the private and the public parts of our lives are in the same way. The, pro- the public part being what we see, it's the building, it's everything above ground, where the private part of our lives is the foundation. It's the unseen. It's, it's who you are when no one is around, when no one is looking. But it's even deeper than that, because you, in private, you can, you can lie to yourself. You can even deceive yourself. And so we have this picture. If your private life and your public life do not... Let's go back to the, the, the previous one. If the private is deep and wide, you can build something on top of it that will stand and will be a blessing to other people. The problem is, is when the private life, what's below ground, and we can go to that next slide, is, is diminished when it's not there, when it, there, there's no content, there's no good foundation. Whatever you build on top of it is, is in jeopardy of falling over, of not standing the test of time, and not standing the test of relationships, and not standing the test of God's word. And so foundations are important. We're talking specifically about character foundations. When it comes to our relationship with the Lord, we know this. There are all different aspects to what goes into building our faith foundation. Doctrine and theology are absolutely cornerstones. And so we're just talking about one aspect of foundations in regards to character. Last week, we looked at obedience. That obedience before the Lord, doing what God calls us to do. As Jesus even says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? That we cannot walk effectively for Jesus, that we cannot grow deep and we cannot be in a stable place if we do not walk in obedience. Well, this morning we want to talk about humility. Humility. You know, this morning I couldn't get up here and just say, hey, let me give you three quick steps to being humble right? Or suggest some books. How about these for some good book titles? You can be humble like me. <laughs> or humility and how I achieved it. <laughs> humility doesn't work that way. Yeah, humility is absolutely key to every aspect of our lives and our walk with Jesus. Pastor, the pastor named Andrew Murray says this of humility. Humility the place of entire dependence on God, is from the very nature of things the first duty and the highest virtue of the creature and the root of every virtue. Let me read that again. Humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is, uh, is from the very nature of things the first duty and the highest virtue of, of the creature and the root of every virtue. What is he saying there? That everything that is of good that flows out of our lives comes back to humility. Everything. Absolutely everything. There is nothing good in our lives that doesn't start and doesn't find its initiation and its root in the place of humility in our lives. Everything and anything good in the life of the, the believer is because of humility. 
We also cannot have a conversation about humility without also talking about pride. And we could say this, and in my study, I was kind of thinking like, okay, there's pride and humility, and they're kind of these opposites, that, that pride stands in opposition to humility. And in, indeed, it does in many ways. But, but, but pride is, in fact, the loss or the absence of humility. That pride exists when humility does not and so it's not that they just are in opposition, it's the, it's the absence, it's like light and dark. Dark is simply the absence of light. Humility, or, or pride rather, is the absence of humility in the life of the believer. Hum, uh, pride, rather, is to declare in thought, in posture, and in action indeed that I know better, that I can take care of myself, that I have no need outside of myself, that I can, cannot take care of myself. Pride has many facets and many dimensions, and there's all kinds of things that we could talk about with, in regards to pride this morning. It is very deep and very complex conversation and discussion. And I know this, by no means will I be able to give it the attention it deserves in the time that we have this morning but there's some key things we need to understand about pride and about humility that informs our view of character foundations this morning. James chapter 4, verses 5 through 6 says this. Do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. What a sobering thought. That God would oppose the proud. That the places of pride in my life are not just me resisting God or, 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 or walking away from God. That where there's pride in my life, that God opposes me in those places. That the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent one would oppose me. That should give us pause. It should cause us to stop and think for a minute. To think deeply about how I am postured before God. That God would oppose the pride in my life. The response of our heart should be then, God, show me where there's pride. And get it out. Because I do not want to be in a place where you are opposing me. Can we just agree this morning? That's not a good place to be. Right? I do not want the God of the universe opposing me. I want to be walking in step with him. For his grace to flow. And that's why he says he gives us his grace. He, even more grace. That he says, I want to show you the way to walk. I want to open up the way for you to walk. I don't want to withhold it from you. I don't want it to be hidden from you. I want you to be able to walk in grace with me. It says of the Lord that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us. Jealousy is not something that we think of quite often in regards to God, do we? Jealousy is a bad thing in our culture. Don't be jealous. One of the names, though, that describes God is the Hebrew name Elkanah. 
Elkanah, the God is a jealous God. Elkanah. And it's this kind of jealousy. I am jealous for the things I have for you. The design and the plan that I have for your life. I am jealous for the things that take you away from the best life that I have for you. For the plans and the purposes that I have laid out for you. I am jealous of the things that take you away from that. I am a jealous God. I am Elkanah. It's like a parent wanting the best for their child. And anything that would come in the way of that, as a parent, there's this jealousy. I want what's best for my child. God recognizes through James here that pride stands in the way of that. That pride stands in the way of us walking fully in everything that God has for us. He is El Kanan. It is one of the greatest expressions of love. That he would love us so deeply. In fact, in John 3.16, we know that Jesus, that, that the Father loved us so much that he gave his son. Why did, why, why did the Father give his son? Because of Elkanah. He did not want us to live in sin and death any longer. He was jealous for us. So the Bible says here that God shows favor or grace to the humble. That he gives place for us to be able to walk in humility and not in pride, that there is an option for us. Let me say, though, at this point, humility is not something we simply choose. It's not like I can say today, God, today I'm choosing to be humble. God, today I will be humble. And that we set out on this quest for humility in my day. I cannot choose to be humble any more than I can choose to be fit. I cannot wake up one morning and go, today I will be in shape. Wouldn't that be nice, right? Today I choose to be in shape. Today I choose to run a marathon, to have the stamina, to, to be able to run and jump and, and do those things. I, I'm just choosing that thing today. No, it doesn't make sense. See, fitness is the result of a decision you make to say, I am going to put the work in and put in the effort and start doing the things that I need to do that lead toward fitness. So yes, there is a choice, but it's not an instantaneous result. You won't be fit tomorrow or even next week. In fact, in the process of choosing, say you're going to say yes to some things and no to a whole lot of other things. Right? In and out? Come on. Yeah. Protein wraps, anyone? Protein style? So you say yes to some things and no to other things. You understand this, that thinking about fitness doesn't make you fit. Am I right? Yeah. Thinking about humility does not make you humble. Listening to a sermon about humility does not make you humble. You've got to do something with it. By the way, as you develop the disciplines and habits needed to be fit, something's going to happen inside of your body before you get to fitness. It's called pain. Yeah, it's called, which is one of the reasons we don't do it. It's called pain. As I start addressing the parts of my life and my body and my discipline that are lacking, what I'm going to feel right away is not exuberance. And people talk about a runner's high. What do you, I've ne never been there. 
I take your word for it, right? But before you get to that place where you go, oh, this feels great, I love working out, it's just pain and it just hurts and it's not necessarily fun, but you recognize if you keep going, it'll produce a result in you. You don't just wake up one day and say, today I will be humble. You either are or you're not. And you are or you're not because of a process that is ongoing in your life. See, a journey towards humility begins by saying, God, humble me. Root out the pride. It begins and leads to a lifestyle of humility where you say yes to certain things and no to certain things. Where you seek it out in the presence of God daily, where you allow him to expose and show and, and, and reveal things in your, in your life that stand in opposition to him, and thereby he stands in opposition to you. And can I tell you, that can hurt. That when we come before God and say, God, would you expose my pride, and when you cause me to walk in humility, he goes, okay, I'll be faithful in that. But it's gonna hurt. And the more that we press into the presence of God, the more we press into his word and understand who we are in light of who he is, we will come up short every time. But that's a good thing because it expresses and shows our dependence on him because what is pride? Pride is saying, I can do it on my own. Humility is saying, I can't do anything on my own. God, I need you. I need you. So I want to make a couple of points this morning in regards to humility. Again, this is scratching the surface, and I'd encourage you, if you have, you, you can go online. If you don't have access to any commentaries or Bible study resources, go online. You go to Bible Gateway or one of those, BibleStudyTools.net. You can, you can type in a search for humility and pride in the Bible and just look at all the verses. Just read all the passages that come up. There's lots of them. Because God means this. This is important. First thing is this, we need to walk in humility before God. And every point I could make after this comes back to this. That we have to walk in humility before God. Everything is tied to this. Everything. Everything. Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal. I like that. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to what? To walk humbly with your God. What is God asking of us? Full surrender. Full submission. See, walking humbly with God is this awareness that he's God and I'm not. It's the act of coming to the word and allowing the word of God to expose us, to undo us, to rend us. Inviting God into our lives in such a way that there is some pain that results. Not because God wants to inflict pain on us, but because our broken situation our broken stature before God, the broken uh, circumstances of our lives when exposed by the light of God should result in some tinge of pain in our lives that says, God, I need you. 
I need you. I've been reading uh, this book, The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. Just a light read, something fun. (laughs) Oh, man. It's rough. But he makes this point in the book. He says, listen, there's this argument in the world that says, how could a loving God allow pain to exist? And, and C.S. Lewis's argument is this, how could a loving God not allow pain? Because if we did not have pain, we would not need God. And so the pain that we experience, whether it's in the brokenness of the world around us or in the brokenness of our own hearts, drives us to the foot of the cross. Because it's in my pain, it's in that place where I can't fix it. I can't do anything about it that my dependence and my need for him is made all the more obvious. To walk humbly with God is just to simply know this every moment of every day. God, I need you more than anything else in my life. God, I need you. Full surrender and full submission And even what we talked about last week in regards to obedience, (laughs) obedience comes out of this. It comes out of this place of humility that says to the Lord, God, I need you more than the next breath that I take. Isaiah 66, 2 says this, has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being. This is God speaking. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. So he opposes the proud, but those he looks at with favor or with grace are those who are humble and contrite in spirit. That God loves those who would humble themselves before him. What is contrition? To be contrite is to be broken over my sin to be broken over my brokenness, to have godly sorrow that leads to repentance, not just a a mental, oh, I shouldn't have done that, I feel really bad, and not even to just even feel it at an emotional level, but at the very core of our souls to go, I have sinned against God, and that I am broken over that. And then he says, what do I, what do I, I look on with favor? I look at those who tremble at my word. When's the last time that you read the word of God and trembled? I think sometimes we come to the word of God and we use it as a tool to get what we want, to hear what we want. We select the passages that we like and ignore the ones that make us uncomfortable. Amen? But it is the whole of Scripture, the whole of God's Word that is meant to minister to the whole of who I am. And so pride leads me to a place where I say, I will read the passages that make me feel good. But it's humility that says, God, I want the whole Word to expose me, to bring into the light those things that, we, that are in the darkest, that I would tremble at your Word. Because he is God, he is sovereign, he is over all, and he sees every aspect of our lives. Proverbs 11.2 says this, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. With humility comes wisdom. And I believe that it's cyclical. 
See, because what can happen is that wisdom can come and knowledge can come, and then we can stop there and go, I, I know that. And immediately we slip back into a place of pride. The writer of Proverbs says this, that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says there is no God. But is the person who is wise, the person who is humble that says there is a God, he knows my name and he knows every detail about my life and I tremble at his feet. I'm undone before him. I'm like Isaiah standing in the presence of God. Woe is, woe is me for I am undone. That's what he's saying. There is nothing hidden. Every, every piece of garbage about my life is exposed in the presence of God. I'm undone. Isn't that a happy thought? But it's so necessary because if we avoid it, we miss out on what God has for us. Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That Jesus is humble. That there is a humility about the Godhead, about the Trinity and the way that they function with each other, serving each other in humility. That when we come to God, we tap into the humility that is present within the Trinity. And that God ministers to, out of, uh, to us out of that place as we press into this. There's no more important thing that we could do in our lives than to walk humbly with God. He doesn't care about what we get done. It's not about accomplishing things for the kingdom or looking like we're successful. If nothing else, God just wants us to know Him, to walk with Him in humility, to, to be, allow Him to be our source, to be our everything. Like I said, there's so much that goes into this, and there's so many facets of this. I implore you, encourage you, press into the Word, and allow Him to show you and expose whether or not you are walking humbly with him or you're walking in a place where you think you know better. Let him do the conviction. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak that over you. God favors those who walk in humility before him. It is the key to every part of fruitfulness in our lives. Secondly is this, we need to walk in humility in regard to self. Romans 12, 3, Paul writes this, For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Caution from Scripture is clear. I don't think we do a good job of that. I don't. I struggle with that. Being in and around church and churches and the institution of church, it's not uncommon to come across people where you think, wow, you're pretty amazing. And you don't mind telling people that you are. 
The problem here is though we could stand back and go, well, that person's really prideful and that person's really prideful and that person's really prideful. And in the midst of that, guess what we're doing? Right? Did I mention it all comes back to the first point? But it's evidenced in even how we think of ourselves. And that's why Paul gives this warning. There's a warning here for us to heed. That when I start thinking of myself as being better, as having it figured out, I know I've got the education, I've got the experience, I know what's up, and you know what, people should just pay attention to what I have to say. Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed, as God exposes, as God shows you who you are, and as he measures your faith, you don't get to measure your faith. God does that. And that he will lovingly, and in the needed ways, expose what's really going on inside of our hearts. And so we have to exercise this sober judgment. Say, God, convict me of the places where I become haughty, where I become elevated in my own thinking. See, there's two people who truly know who you are. You and God. And I say God as a person, and I call him people, not in the sense that we are, but he is a person. He's not a person like us, but he is a person. God knows you and you know you, and I would argue that you don't even know yourself as well as God knows you, right? Because there's parts of you that you can just ignore, God knows you, and you know you. And so when you start thinking about who you are, I can't see those thoughts. I don't know what you think of yourself. We can judge from appearance and from evidence what you might think of yourself, but you might even think of yourself, even have a higher opinion of yourself than you even let on. It's not just about the act. It's about what's going on inside of you. Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But allow yourself to be opened up before the presence of God. Paul writes in Philippians, he talks about the fact that when it comes to being religious, he was at the top of the pile. He had it all figured out. A Hebrew among Hebrews, a scholar, when it came to persecuting the church, he was the one leading the charge. When it came to acts of righteousness according to the law, he was, he was the poster boy for what religiosity should have looked like. And then he says this, I count it all rubbish. I count it all loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. That in light of who God is, I recognize what I truly am. And that the, the very best that I bring to the table is nothing, is nothing. And I allow God to be the one who lifts me up. Proverbs 16, 18 through 19, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better, be, better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Can I just tell you the warnings in Scripture go on and on and on and on and on in regards to pride and humility. It's toxic. 
It's dangerous that when we, wa- when we walk into pride and we give ourselves permission, because that's what we do, in the same way that I give myself permission to eat that thing that is going to affect my fitness level, I give myself permission to walk in pride. And I move away from and not closer to God's ideal, his plan for my life. Pride goes before destruction. And this is not a negotiable in the presence of God. He doesn't say sometimes pride goes before destruction. Pride will always lead to destruction in the life of the believer. It is to be avoided. It is, it's, it's designed to be recognized and then cast aside in favor of humility. Jesus shares this story in Luke 18, 9 through 14. He says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Okay, so this, let's just stop there. This issue existed then as much as it exists today. There were people that were thought, hey, I am pretty good. I've got it figured out. I've read the books. I have the information. I have the track record. And I stand in a place where I can look down on other people. Jesus calls them out with a parable, with a story. He says this. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. He was a good tither. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's worth letting it sink in for a minute. The context here is religion, it's church. He's not talking about the unbeliever. He's talking about the person who claims to know God. And he says, the person in that context who comes in and says, thank you, God, that I'm not like that other guy and that other woman whose lives are just a mess. Thank you, God, that you have blessed me so much that I can walk head and shoulders above the rest. God, thank you so much. And thank you, God, that, that I have all of these things and, 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 that, and that there's this this air about my life that that should just be a blessing to other people. God, thank you. And there's this confidence before God. Now, we understand this. The Bible says, come boldly before the throne of grace. Not like that. The confidence we have is that of a child coming to their father, not of someone who is arrogant saying and boasting in what they have on their own. But this tax collector who knows he's a a sinner who knows he is broken, who knows he is lacking, says, God, have mercy on me. See, when we stand before God, we are exposed and that our righteousness is like filthy rags and that the only posture we ever have before God is, God, have mercy on me. And guess what? He does. He does. 
He gives favor and grace and mercy. And he says those who humble themselves will be lifted up, not by their own merit, not by their own strength, but by his mighty hand. There's nothing better. C.S. Lewis writes this. We try when we wake to to lay the new day at God's feet. But before we have finished shaving, for those of us who shave, it becomes our day. And God's share in it is felt as a tribute, which we, uh, which we must pay out of our own pocket. A deduction from the time we, which, uh, which ought we feel to be our own. That we start out with good intentions. God, today, this is your day. You might even wake up singing This is the day, right? And there's this initial motivation of the heart to say, this day belongs to God. But by the time you make it out of the shower and start getting ready, you're thinking about how it's your day and how God might get a few minutes of your time at some point during the day, if that. So it's not really his day. It's your day. It's our time. And God just gets the scraps. C.H. Spurgeon, the famous pastor from Chicago, said this, true humility is thinking rightly of thyself, not meanly. See, here's, here's the caution, that we could start beating ourselves up over all of this. That the goal of repentance and coming before the Lord and being undone is not so that you can beat yourself up. The goal is to expose and to show who you truly are so you can receive forgiveness. That the goal of repentance is to receive refreshing, as Peter says in Acts 3.19. That we would repent before God because of our sins so that seasons and times of refreshing would come from the Lord. So Spurgeon says, true humility is thinking rightly of thyself, not meanly. When you have found out what you really are, you will be humble. For you are nothing to boast of. To be humble will make you safe. To be humble will make you happy. To be humble will make music in your heart when you go to bed. To be humble here will make you wake up in the likeness of your master by and by. That humility leads to this process in my life where joy and contentment and being conformed to the image of Jesus becomes the pattern of my life. Lord, that's what I want. I pray that that's your prayer as well. God, I want to be more like Jesus as I'm humbled in the presence of God. And finally, this morning, that we walk in humility towards others. Really, the evidence of how we walk in regard to humility with the Lord and how we walk in humility in regard to self is evidenced in the way that we engage with other people. You might be able to fake it for a little bit, but eventually it comes out. It shines through. Ephesians 4, 2 through 3, Paul writes this, be completely humble, not just humble, completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond 
of peace. See, pride is destructive to the body of Christ. The prideful heart, prideful thinking, the person who thinks that they're better is no longer attached within the body of Christ. They start separating themselves out. And that's not healthy. That if, part of, if a part of my body, if one of my limbs or even one of my fingers were separated from my body, it would create incredible pain, wouldn't it? Hello? What pride does is the choosing in one's own heart to say, I am better, and thereby to separate self. And it creates pain in both the heart of the person separating and for those who are separated from. That God's heart is never that we would look at others with condemnation or even with a sense of pride in our heart like the, like the Pharisee and say, I'm better than that person. But that we would take on the likeness of Jesus and the example of Jesus who says he didn't come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom. See, the divine humility of Jesus to, to humble himself, the God of the universe, to humble himself to come as a man, to live as he did, to die as he did, the act of divine humility to express to us his incredible love. Why would we do any less? To look with contempt at our brothers and sisters, to judge their lives, to judge their motives, to judge their intentions, to judge their circumstances and go, God, I thank you, I'm not like that person. And in that moment, we are exposed before God as the sinners that we are. Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Don't let this be a part of who you are, a part of your thinking, a part of your behavior towards the body. Rather, be patient, bear one another, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort. You know, I take note of places where scripture says make, make effort, take effort. Why? Because it's, it means it's going to take work. It's not just going to happen. First Peter 5, 5 through 6, Peter writes this, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. That same idea, again, but here in regards to our relationship with each other. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. P Peter's encouragement here is clothe yourself. Wear it as a garment. What does that mean for us? See, I talked about the private and the public. But you, you don't wear a garment in, in private. You wear a garment, you wear a cloak in public where people can see it. What he's saying is your humility should be evident to other people and not false humility, right? Don't make it weird, but just living in such a way, it's, again, it's the, hey, I'm going to go to church today, I'm going to choose to be humble. No, it doesn't work that way. It's about daily saying, God, would you humble me? Cause me to be a humble person. God, show me in the places where there's pride so I can start being conformed to the image of Jesus so I can be clothed with humility in such a way that it is evident to the people around me. Church, we've got work to do. We have work to do, each one of us. 
We've got the work of coming before God the Father and say, God, would you show me who I am? Would you expose? Would you reveal? Would you convict? Holy Spirit, would you shine your light in those places of my life where I need to look more like Jesus in humility and move away from pride? This isn't about listening to a sermon or reading a book. It's not about doing your devotions five or six times a week, though that's important. We can go through the emotions and never actually let God do the surgery that he wants to do. And I've got to tell you this morning, I'm so glad that he convicts and then he cuts those things out with a scalpel and not a sledgehammer. That he is gentle with us as we would come in humility before him that he will be faithful in pointing out and showing and saying, yeah, this is where I need to work. Here's some work that we need to do. Here's some foundational things that have been eroded and undermined and need attention in our lives. So my encouragement to you would be this. Don't just leave here today and go, oh, that was a good message, or not. You don't have to say that either. And then not do anything with it. Out of the two sermons you're going to remember, <laughs> allow the Lord to speak to you. Take time this week. Get before Jesus and ask him, God, search my heart. See, because if we don't get humility right, if we don't make a decision to start pursuing and, and asking God to bring about humility in our lives, Everything else that is built on top of it is at risk of crumbling to the ground. Everything. This is key for us. Amen? Let's stand together as we close. As a point of application this morning... As the worship team comes forward, would you just quietly before the Lord, maybe even in this time the Lord's been exposing and maybe showing places in your heart, things that have come up that you need to address. Could we just take 20, 30 seconds before him alone? Would you confess, would, would you confess those things to the Lord just quietly where you're at? Would you repent? Repentance being this, as God exposes those places, as he shows those things in our lives that are broken and sinful. Repentance is that godly sorrow. It says, God, I'm choosing to walk away from that, to not live that way anymore. To receive his grace, to receive his forgiveness and his mercy. Would you do that for just the next 20, 25 seconds? Father, this morning, we remember that 
We can't make other people humble. We can't even make ourselves humble, that we can simply come before you and be humbled in your presence. And so, Lord, I pray that you give us a hunger for your presence, a desire to be with you, to be in the word, Lord, to to pray, to, to allow your spirit to speak to us in ways that absolutely encourage us, but, Lord, also in ways that would expose the places where we need to do work. Thank you, God, that you are faithful. You are more faithful than we will ever know. And Lord, as a body, we do not want to be in a place where we are being resisted by you because of pride. Father, cause us to walk in humility, even as a congregation before you. I want to ask this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, if If you're hearing this message, you're hearing these words, maybe the Spirit of God is stirring in your heart and you're saying, Pastor Barry, I don't have a relationship with God in the way that you're talking about. I don't know him in that way, but I'd like to know him. We want to give you an opportunity to say yes to him this morning. And it's just simply this. It's saying, yes, Jesus, I need you in my life. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross, that you came from the Father, that you died, that you rose again for my sin that I choose to put my faith and trust in you it's that simple if that's you this morning and you'd say yes I want to say yes to Jesus today would you simply do this without anyone looking around would you raise your hand nice and high so I can see your hand and just walk in agreement with you anyone this morning you would say I need Jesus in the way that you're talking about today Father, I pray that as we leave this place today, that you would do a work in our hearts, that our hearts would not be hardened, but that we we would be receptive before you, that we would be broken before you, that we would tremble at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together as we close. Prayer team is available to pray with you. anyone has any prayer needs, they'd love to pray with you this morning as we close.